Good evening. It is great to be back with you once again. It's great to, to be able to worship uh, again on a Sunday evening, this time with natural light coming through our windows. I, am a, I vote that we should keep our time change where it's at. I don't like at four o'clock when the sun goes down and it's dark all the time. I like, I like the light. I like the sun. So I vote that we should keep it this way. Um, I don't know who you need to tell to make it, for that to make a difference, but if you have somebody, go for it. Um, but I, I love the opportunity that we have on Sunday nights to worship together um, and it's for the time in which we are now. Uh, I always look forward to our Q&As every third Sunday night of the month. And just a reminder, our boxes are still open. There's one here on the front pew, one in the back. Um, you are welcome to submit any kind of questions, biblical questions that you might have. Um, I hope that you are not embarrassed to put a question in there. It's, there's no question that is silly or, or anything like that. If you have any question about any kind of biblical concept or anything that perhaps you've just thought of, um, or maybe you've come across in your daily reading or whatever it might be, please submit those questions. I would love to hear from you and would love to try to tackle some of these. I just got one the other day that is a very profound question. I'm very excited to answer it, and we'll get to that here in the next couple of months. We're going to tackle two questions tonight, and both of them are somewhat similar in concept and in nature. I'm excited to look forward to these ones. Here's question number one. Does Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, the very first verse that Caleb read for us just a moment ago, does Romans 15 and verse 4 mean the Old Testament and the teachings of Jesus? I want to read this verse again just to refresh it in our memory, and then we'll dive into some things uh, concerning this verse here in just a moment. Romans 15, look with me again here in verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, it's always an interesting topic of discussion whenever we talk about the Old Testament as it relates to the New Testament and vice versa. It's always an interesting thing to look at the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament or the old law and the new law and our attitude towards both of them and how they fit into our daily lives. There's a lot that is said about this subject and a lot of commentaries and a lot of books out there. There's a lot that is said within scripture about these things. And we're actually going to look at this whole concept for the remainder of our time together this evening, because our second question has to do with this concept as well. Now, a couple of things I want to point out, I guess just by way of introduction, as we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Obviously, you and I love the New Testament. We understand that. I think that's established for anyone who is a Christian. When you are a New Testament Christian, you are that way because you love the New Testament. And as a byproduct of that, you are also someone who loves Jesus. You understand the importance of Jesus. And again, it goes back and forth. You love Jesus. You love the New Testament. You love the New Testament. You also love our Savior. We understand the importance of the New Testament. We understand the importance of the teachings of Jesus. We could talk about his parables. We could talk about his miracles. We could talk about his teachings. And anytime he showcased power, and whenever you read of that through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we are also able to read and to study about everything that he did and the way he reacted in every situation just throughout his time on this earth during his ministry. But we're also able to read within scripture, within the New Testament, within the gospel accounts, we're able to read about his betrayal, his trial, his torture, um, and also his crucifixion. And though that obviously is 
is a sad occasion, one that brings sorrow to our hearts. It's an occasion where we can rejoice, because, and it's because of that we're able to have a, have a hope of, home, of a home in heaven with God one day. But we also know that as we continue reading through the New Testament that we're able to read about his resurrection and the hope that that gives us um, and what joy we can gain from reading about that. You can continue reading through the New Testament, and we understand the importance of the New Testament. We can talk about the history of the church and go back just a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the, about the parable of the mustard seed in Mark chapter 4. We can talk about the church, the history of it, the blessing of it, why we are grateful to be a part of the church, um, and all of the things that are associated with that. We can look at the struggles that the first century church faced. We can look at the epistles that Paul wrote um, and that so many other brethren wrote, but specifically that Paul wrote where he, where he has authored almost, more than half of the New Testament and how we can gain um, encouragement from that just like we're doing whenever we're able to on Sunday nights as we walk ourselves through the book of Philippians and we're able to look at encouraging messages and letters like that and so on and so forth. We understand the importance of Jesus, the role that he played within Scripture and the New Testament as a whole. You and I know, though, that this is the law under which we live today. That old law, the law of Moses, the Old Testament, it is something that has been nailed to the cross. It's been done away with. And we're going to look at that more as we go on tonight. Not that the Old Testament was bad. The old law wasn't bad, but it simply could not save us from our sins. It couldn't save us from the state in which we are right now. You and I were in need of that new law. We are in need of the new law. We are in need of the sacrifice of our Savior. So we understand the importance of Jesus and the New Testament. But within all of that, you and I also understand the importance of the Old Testament. We understand that the Old Testament is extremely important. In fact, why would God make sure that the Old Testament was preserved for some thousands of years for us to be able to even have in our hands to be able to study and to read and to know why would he have preserved it for us if it was something that we didn't need to know? If it was something that we didn't need to study, if it was something that wasn't relevant or important for us in our lives, why would God have had made sure that you and I could have a copy of it today? Over and over and over we see in the Old Testament. And I'm seeing this as I study for our ladies class on Wednesdays as we're going through the book of Joshua. I'm able to see over and over and over again the relevance of the Old Testament and how applicable it is to you and I today as 21st century Christians. We, are see, we see over and over how we as a, as a group of people, as Christians, must continually put our reliance and our trust in Almighty God. And we see that just throughout the book of Joshua and so many others. We see how our faith must be placed in Him. And if it is, if we put our faith and our trust in Him, then we're certainly going to be blessed. But if we, like the nation of Israel did so many time and time again, if we don't do that, then we will fall away and we will meet our destruction just like they did. So we understand the Old Testament is extremely vital to you and I as 21st century Christians. Tom Waycaster, an instructor at the Memphis School of Preaching, he said this, he's a prolific writer, he's written a lot of books, and he said this, he said, one cannot, cannot have a complete and full understanding of God or his plan for man without at least a working knowledge of the Old Testament. The things that you and I read in the Old Testament certainly would be confusing, would they not? The things that we read about in the Old Testament certainly would not make sense if we just read the Old Testament by itself. But what are you and I blessed to be able to have within our hands today? A copy of the Old Testament, yes, but you're able to couple that 
with a copy of the New Testament. And we're able to see how these things overlap. In fact, many people say this. Many people say that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. We're able to see so many different things that are said in the Old Testament, so many things that are quote-unquote hidden, that we're able to see come to fruition and come to life as we study the New Testament. We understand how important the Old Testament is for us as 21st century Christians. So, all of that being said, let's go back to our question. What is Romans 15 and verse 4 referring to? What is it talking about when it talks about the things that were written beforehand? In order to understand this question, in order to understand an answer to this question, we have to understand the contents of the book of Romans. That is so vital and so important. You and I, you know that, and I've said this before and I'll continue to say this, if you want to study a certain verse or a certain passage, you have to keep it where? in its context. You have to look at what is being said in the surrounding passages and really the overall theme of the book in which you find that verse. Otherwise, you can make that verse pretty much say whatever it is that you want. And I say this especially with this question in mind because of this fact right here. There are some throughout the book of Romans, there are some 87 different quotes, paraphrases, or illusions to that of the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul is placing a great emphasis on the Old Testament in his teachings and in his preaching and in his writings to his brethren who are the city of Rome. So again, there's the, there, there's the, the, we see the need there for us to study and to read and to know the Old Testament because the Apostle Paul referenced it so much. But we think about this. Paul also lived under the Old Testament at that time, didn't he? Paul lived under the Old Testament um, before Jesus ever went to the cross. Jesus lived under the Old Testament before he went to the cross. His apostles lived under the Old Testament before Christ went to the cross. So we understand the Old Testament certainly played a role in their lives, but we also understand this, that there's something better, that there is something more perfect under which you and I are able to live right now. In fact, I want you to go back a couple of passages. Go back to Romans chapter 7, and I want you to notice verse 6 with me. When you look at this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is in this context. He's talking about how you and I are no longer bound by the old law. We're talking about the Old Testament. And he says there in verse 4, he's talking about individuals who have become dead to the law, talking about the old law. But how are we, how are we dead to it? We're dead to it through the body of Jesus Christ. But now jump to verse 6. He says, but now we have been delivered from the law. Well, who delivered us? Who's the one who delivered us from that old law? Well, again, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, gave us the opportunity to come into contact with him through that new law and through that new covenant. So does Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 reference the, to the teachings of Jesus? The answer, at least in my estimation, is no. It is not talking about the teachings of Jesus. Now, I'm not taking it all away from the importance of the teachings of Jesus. I'm not at all taking away from uh, how relevant the teachings of Jesus are for you and I today in our lives, but that is not what Romans 15 and verse 4 is talking about. You have to look at context and understand what is going on throughout the book of Romans, and over and over again, he's referencing um, the Old Testament. We're going to kind of see this come to light more as we get into our second question for the night. This is question number two. Does 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, the second verse that Caleb read for us a moment ago, is it, does it mean separating the old law from the new law? Does it mean separating the old law from the new law? And I hope that I'm answering this question. I don't know who submitted this question, but I hope that I'm answering it um, in the way that you wanted me to, because there's a couple of different ways we could have gone about by talking about this. But there's a couple of things I want to think about. Notice with me here. Let's read this again. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. 
Paul is speaking to young Timothy, and he says this. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, as we begin answering this question, we are essentially going to pick up right where we leave off with, this, with our first question of the night. We've talked about the old law. We've talked about how we are no longer under the old law anymore. Again, that's not to take away from its importance. That's not to take away from its relevance. We are just simply tied and obedient and submissive to that of the new law, and you and I understand that as we go forward. Now, does 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, does it refer to the old law? when it talks about the idea of dividing, rightly dividing the word of truth. I would have to say that it absolutely does reference the old law when you're talking about this. In principle, certainly it applies to you and I today as we look at the Bible as a whole, talking about Old Testament and New Testament. But at the time that Paul's writing this, is it referring to the New Testament like what you and I have today? No, it's not, because they didn't have this like what we have today. They didn't have a copy of the New Testament and a copy of the Old Testament. Much like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 is talking about where he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Yes, in principle, he's talking about the Bible as a whole, but he's referencing the old law because that's all that they had at that time. That was the only copy of scripture that they had. But to answer the question, is it talking about separating the old law from the new law. Let's look at a couple of passages that I think will help us understand this a little bit better. Go to Colossians chapter 2 with me. Colossians chapter 2, let's notice verse 14. Colossians chapter 2, beginning of verse 14, Paul says this. He says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Okay, you and I understand that Jesus Christ went to the cross, that before he went there, they were still living under the old law at that time. The standard by which they were to live and by which they were to submit, um, that was what it was. It didn't, it didn't reference the New Testament at that time because the New Testament wasn't in effect then. People look at the verses and passages and concepts like this and they create such a stir, especially when it comes to concepts like that of which, where you find in Luke chapter 23, talking about the thief on the cross. A lot of people say, well, Jesus said that you will today be with me in paradise, but the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. So how in the world could Jesus tell somebody who, which we now know today is 21st century Christians living under the new law, you have to be baptized to be saved. How could he say that to someone and allow him to bypass being baptized? Well, there's a couple of things you got to think about. What were they living under at the time of them actually hanging on the cross? They were still living under the old law. Baptism was not a requirement for them in order to be saved. And let's just say this, who's to say that he wasn't in the crowds beforehand? Who's to say that he was never baptized once before? Someone who perhaps once was following Jesus Christ, but fell away and got himself in trouble and ended up hanging, getting himself hung on a cross. There's a lot of things we don't know about the thief on the cross. And so it's so presumptuous to talk about a situation like that and to say, well, he did, Jesus is, is bypassing his own law by saying he doesn't have to be baptized. They weren't living under that law at the time anyway. They were living under the old law. And we have to keep that in mind when we talk about the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It wasn't until the death of Jesus Christ on the cross that the Old Testament, the old law was done away with. It was wiped out and it was nailed to the cross. Let's look at another passage of scripture. Go to the book of Hebrews. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter nine. So, um, look with me here, beginning in verse 16. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 16. 
For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of, a testator, of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. Verse 20, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. We understand once Jesus went to the cross, once he was nailed to the cross and he died, we know that the new law came into effect, but it couldn't come into effect until when? Until Jesus went to the cross and died. That New Testament could not come into effect until there was the death of the testator. When someone leaves you something in their will that they want you to have, you cannot have that until what happens? Until they pass on from this life. Then you can receive whatever it was that was written down for you in that will. The same is with the new law. It didn't come into effect until the death of the one instituting it died, that being Jesus Christ. Let's go to another passage. Go back a couple of pages. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, notice we can be here beginning in verse 22. The Hebrews writer says this. He says, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety, notice this, of a better covenant. What do we notice here in Hebrews chapter 7? Well, again, you have the old law. The old law served its purpose. It did and accomplished exactly what God wanted it to do, but it's done. It's over. It's done away with, and there is now something that is better. There is now a better covenant under which we are able to live. We no longer, think about it, we no longer have to offer yearly sacrifices. We no longer have to keep any kind of feasts, do we? We no longer have to do all of these things. There are so many things that are not binding on us that were binding under the old law. We live under a better covenant. And again, you could actually go one chapter over. You could go to Hebrews chapter 8. You could look at verses 6 all the way through verse 13 where it reemphasizes the idea of living under a better covenant covenant under something that is better. The New Testament, it is better. It is perfect. In fact, James says this, James chapter one, beginning of verse 25, James says, but he who looks into the what? Into the perfect law of liberty. It is perfect. It is everything that you and I could ever need in order to be faithful and in order to be successful as a Christian. Go back to the Old Testament. I want to look at one more passage here. Go back to the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 31. Let's look at a couple of verses here. Jeremiah chapter 31. Let's look here, beginning of verse 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning of verse 31. Again, you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the mustard seed, and it was talking about um, how the church was going to come into effect. That kind of concept is the exact same thing here. This is a prophecy, something that is foreseeing or looking ahead to what is going to come. Look at verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a, notice this, a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 34, no more shall every man, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they all, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. What is being talked about? Jeremiah, what are you referencing here? Well, he's talking about the New Testament, isn't he? 
He's talking about the new law under which you and I now are able to live today. So obviously, we understand the difference between the old law and the new law. We understand the old law, it was good, it did what it needed to do, but we no longer live under that because that was nailed to the cross when Jesus died. When Jesus went to the cross, the new law, the New Testament under which we live today came into effect, and that is under what we are abiding and submitting to as 21st century Christians today. So let me give you this concept here as we close out this message. Let me give you the kind of this concept as we look at how, do, how can we make this apply to us today? I always want to try to do this with any lesson. How do we make it applicable to us today? What can we draw from it? How can we be better from this? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 talks about this idea of rightly dividing the word of truth. How can you and I do that? How can you and I be effective students of the Bible? Whenever we approach Scripture, how are we able to be effective students? How can we rightly divide the word of truth? How can we understand what God is talking about, what Jesus is referencing, what the apostles were inspired to write? How can we understand all of those things and then apply them to our lives? Here's number one. I want you to understand what you have. I want you to understand what you have when it comes to your study of the Word of God. I think far too often, you and I take for granted the fact that you and I have so easily accessible to us the Word of Almighty God. On any, in any bookstore, in any most places you could ever go to buy a book, you're going to find a copy of the Word of God that you can buy. You can download it for free on your phone or on your tablet. It is so accessible to us today, more than it ever has been in our lives, and because of that, I fear that far too often we take for granted the fact that we have the words of our very creator. You and I as Christians must never, ever, ever forget the blessing of being able to hold the words of our God, our creator, in our hands and to be able to study it and to be able to know exactly what it is that God would have us to do. God is our creator. He literally sustains us in this life. And yet he has chosen to communicate with us because or through the through the words of the Bible. What a blessing that is. Don't ever, ever forget the fact that we have that. Here's number two. How do I rightly divide the word of truth? I don't add to or take away. I don't add to or take away. And that's one of our, our questions that we're going over with our young people here on Sunday nights and that they're going over in their classes on Sundays and Wednesdays. We can look at passages like Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 through 19, where John talks about individuals who must, and that we as Christians, as people, should never add to or take away. In other words, John's saying, look, don't add, to, don't add to the perfect word of Almighty God. Don't take your quote-unquote man-made wisdom and don't insert your own doctrines and insert your own creeds and your own thoughts because you think that you know what is best, but then also don't take from it. Don't look at the perfect word of God and think that there are things that don't apply to you, things that you don't want to listen to, and just simply rip them out and throw them out and say, I don't have to obey them. Because you and I know that at the end of the day of judgment, what are we going to be judged by? John chapter 12, verse 48, the words of Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done to your copy of the word of God. It doesn't matter if you've added or if you've taken away. You're still going to be judged by the words of Jesus. Thus, I feel that we should do all that we can to know exactly what Jesus says and not what you and I um, think that it should say. We can look at passages like Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 all the way through verse 9, where the Apostle Paul talks about 
how he was um, concerned that they had gone to another gospel, that they had gone to something else other than the words of Jesus Christ. Over and over again, we see concepts stick to the Bible, stick to God's holy word. We should not wander, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and we should abide by his commands. Here's number three, and you've heard me say this, and I'll continue to say this. How do I rightly divide the truth? I keep it in context. I keep the passages in context. You have heard me say this. You cannot take a verse or a passage or a chapter or whatever it might be and simply take it out of where it is and make it say something that you just think that it should say. If that is how you are as a Bible student, then you are a lazy Bible student. That is easy to do. It is easy to take John chapter 3 and verse 16 to pull it out and to make it say, look, I don't have to be baptized to be saved. All it says I have to do is believe. But you have to understand the context. You have to understand what is being said and what is being talked about before and after. It is so vital as students of the Bible to keep it in our context. It's lazy. It shows a lack of knowledge. And it is simply wrong to pull things out of context. Here's the fourth one. This might be the most important one. Do it daily. When you rightly divide the word of truth, are you someone who does it daily? Read your Bible and pray every day and you'll what? You'll grow, grow, grow. And I understand that's a children's song, but certainly that applies to you and I as adults, does it not? Daily, we must be in the word. If we want to grow, we must feed ourselves. We understand that concept physically, but how about it spiritually? If you want to be someone who is growing, someone who is doing all that you can to be who God would have you to be, you have to be feeding yourself with the word of Almighty God. I hope that our study tonight has been beneficial to you. I know it's a little bit different than what we've ever done before, talking about the differences in the old law and the new law, but we have to understand the old law. We have to understand the Old Testament in order to help us understand the New Testament, and that's so vital for us as New Testament Christians. We understand one of the greatest blessings about being under the New Testament is the fact that you and I are able to now have a hope of heaven with God one day. It's because of Jesus Christ, because of what he has done on the cross for us, that you and I are able to know without a shadow of a doubt that we can be on our way to heaven. But there's things that we have to do. There are conditions that must be met in order for that promise that Jesus made in John chapter 14 to come true. You and I understand that promise is a hope of heaven, but the condition is baptism. We understand that we must be baptized into water, that water, a representation of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary so many years ago for you and I today. We understand that we have to submit to his will, put him on in baptism, and then live a life of faithfulness to him. Live a life where it says, I'm going to put the world away. I'm going to put the old man away. I don't want to do all that I can to be pleasing to God in this life. Or maybe you're here tonight and perhaps you are a Christian, but maybe your life's not what it should be. Maybe you once were a, a faithful Christian, but perhaps your life has gotten off track. Maybe your priorities aren't right. Maybe there are choices in your life that you have made that are not in line with the word of God. And you want to fix those things. You want to repent of those things. You want to come back home. Understand that we'll pray for you. God will forgive you. We will forgive you and we'll do all that we can to help you. The church of Christ is such a blessing. I hope that you understand that. And I hope that you see the need and the importance of being a part of the family of Almighty God. If you have a need tonight, won't you come? It's together we stand and as we sing.